You're listening to the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast, episode number 35. So once you've escaped the narcissist or the abuser in your life, your life changes dramatically. And I'm going to give you some tips to build yourself a team of people to surround you to help you along this journey. If you don't have to go it alone, I highly recommend getting some really great support people to help you along the way. Now, I realize how difficult this might be simply because the narcissist or the toxic person in your life most likely has isolated you from friends and family who used to have your back. But even so, there are things that you can do to build up a team of people who will help you after you escape. And here's the thing. After you get out, your fight is far from over. Survivors of this type of abuse have been emotionally beat down to almost nothing. And yes, the fog is cleared and you can see the light again and things are a little bit clearer. You can breathe. You might even feel an immediate sense of relief and safety. But it's the things you don't hear about that are the scariest of all. Things like CPTSD and nightmares, court battles and smear campaigns, the flying monkeys and abuse uh, by proxy, triggers, depression, hoovering you back and um, feeling like you're to blame, maybe even urges to return to the abuser or fear and lack of trust in others or yourself. You may experience anxiety or panic attacks, sleep problems and guilt. I mean, these are just 15 very common things that people experience after escaping emotional abuse. So as you can clearly see, The fight is hardly over after the narcissist is out of sight, but let's look at these things really carefully. No matter where you are in the healing stages after emotional abuse, you can still get the support that you need. You can change the current support that you have. You can add to it. You can remove people from it. But what you need to do is just take inventory. If you have the same support people that you've had for the last, let's say, five years, Maybe some things need to be shaken up a little bit. Maybe you need to add to it. Maybe you need um, additional support in other areas that you didn't need before. Where are you being supported and where do you need more support? So stay tuned because this episode is going to help you assemble the best level of support for your emotional abuse recovery. Welcome to the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast a podcast specifically designed to help you heal after a toxic or narcissistic relationship. This podcast teaches you to use your subconscious mind to go from feeling stuck to set free. In here, you will learn how to use the power of your own mind to free yourself from emotional pain, move forward with confidence, and experience the inner peace you deserve in your healing journey after emotional abuse. I'm your host, and subconscious reprogramming coach, Allison Dagny. So let's get started. Okay, so it might be pretty obvious, but I'm just going to go into these right away. People that you're going to really want to invest in for a support team are good therapists, um, great attorneys, maybe a life coach who has experience with narcissistic abuse, um, or someone who specializes in self-care or managing sleep disorders. Right, so what you do first is decide what is affecting you the most severely and prioritize that. And then get to work on assembling your team. So you might need to sit down 
and really look at what's going on in your life, where those areas are suffering and where you need support. So if you're someone who is really having trouble sleeping, uh, maybe it is a, like I said, somebody who works with sleep disorders or something like that so that you are refreshed in the morning when you wake up so that you can um, get all of your work together, be present for your children, and make clear decisions, right? If we're super tired, we can't do that. So you may need a financial advisor or a tax accountant or maybe a finance coach, right? These are all very important people to have in your corner, but we don't know if we need them if we're not actually sitting down and writing out who are the people that I have, who are the people that I need. So don't underestimate the value of having people like this in your life. The other very important thing that you will need are people who love you, people who care and support you. I've talked about this before, but even if you have to go back to people who the narcissist isolated from you and explain what happened, you can do that, right? Because those people may have a lot of empathy considering the situation and knowing that you were abused. So choose people who you know are good at heart. Choose to go back to those people who you know without a shadow of a doubt that they always loved and cared about you. And most people will understand why they were moved from your life once you explain what was happening to you. Be honest and be forthright about the abuse. If this person rejects your openness and desire to be back in their lives, you can respect that boundary and move along and they are not your team and that is okay. Another good idea, let's say if you're a spiritual person, is to connect with a church that you're comfortable with or maybe a spiritual coach. Maybe you get into a Bible study or a spiritual group that you really align with. I see these people all over social media. And if you just type in some hashtags like emotional wellness and self-care or self-love, maybe spiritual journey or something like that, then you'll start to find some of these helpers to add to your team. Even if you're just following them on social media and connecting with them in the DMs, these people can be a great source of support and connection. So the first thing I want to talk about is how to find a great therapist. So the first thing you want to do is ask around people who you know. Word of mouth is a really great way to get recommendations. And if you're not comfortable doing this, you can always ask maybe like your primary care physician to recommend somebody to you or read reviews when you go online. If you work, check to see if your employer offers employee assistance programs for a service like this. Some companies will even pay for a few free visits up, up front. And if this isn't an option for you, then just go online and do a search and read the reviews. Another thing you'll need to decide is if a licensed clinical social worker, therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist is right for you. Which one is right for you? So if you don't know the differences between them, then research the differences and understand what you're getting with each individual. Whichever one that you decide, make sure that you interview whoever you have an interest in, right? So we're not just going to call and say, hey, I want to, you know, start booking an appointment. You want to know about this person. Let's say a therapist, um, you're going to want to get a hold of them and ask them a lot of questions before you commit. Um, a therapist-client relationship should be compatible. 
And I've heard lots of stories where people have therapists, they think they're going to be great, and it turns out that therapist doesn't support them in the ways that really would serve them the most. So you might, let's say, prefer, prefer a female over a male or vice versa. You may prefer to have someone who shares the same culture as you so that they can understand you more. All of these things are important. And once you figure this out, make a list of questions that you'd like to ask. It's really always a good idea to ask questions. And open-ended questions when interviewing a potential therapist are really the best way to go. So here are a few examples for you to get started. Number one, what type of experience do you have working with victims of emotional trauma? And see how that's an open-ended question instead of just saying, do you have experience? Like, Ask the open-ended questions like what type of experience do you have and get them to open up. Number two, how often do you think you see patients who have CPTSD? And they may say something like, oh, you know, 70% of my clients have this or, you know, only maybe a small percentage of them do or whatever that might be. Number three, what are your thoughts about narcissistic abuse? And the reason I like this question is because it really gauges what this person believes and thinks about um, people who claim they have been abused by a narcissist to see if they have a lot of empathy and understanding. Number four is what are your expertise areas for therapy? And this is really important because if you're dealing with someone who um, is an expert in child psychology or um, an area that doesn't really align with you, then they're spending most of their time dealing with clients and patients in that particular area. So it would be more beneficial to you to have someone who has experience dealing with emotional abuse, narcissistic abuse, and um, emotional trauma. So the last question that you could ask is, what are your favorite areas to work in regarding mental health and why? And I like this question because it really gives you a great idea about where this person is going to shine. Because typically when people are talking about and dealing with things that they're really interested in, they're going to be a lot better at it. Um, so I'll add these questions into the show notes so that you can go back and look at them easily and um, pull them for whenever you are interviewing. And like I said, if you're already, if you already have a really good therapist, this, this part you can skip over, but maybe you want to reevaluate and see if there's someone else you want to switch to, or maybe you don't have a therapist yet and you want to, um, look at getting one and ask these questions. If the answers to these questions don't immediately make you feel comfortable when the therapist answers. Just keep looking, right? It, it doesn't mean anything bad about that person. They're just not the right person for you. So take notes on each potential one. Keep a, keep a running list and compare and contrast between them to find the best fit for you. And really remember, just because you choose a therapist doesn't mean you're stuck with them forever. If it isn't working out or you don't feel you're getting a lot of value, it's okay to just find somebody else. A therapist should make you feel validated and comfortable, and they should always provide you with tools to help you repair the damage that you feel is holding you back. Now, after you've found a good one, 
It's important to set up regular sessions. Just like physical therapy, if you don't go regularly and do the exercises at home, well, it's not going to repair the damage. Healing takes effort and practice, and you need a great therapist on your team to help you manage your invisible wounds as well as to thrive in your future. And this you can actually apply to coaches as well, um, anybody who is going to support you um, for your mental health. So the other one I want to talk about is how to find a great lawyer. Now, this isn't going to apply to everyone, and I realize that some people won't even be able to afford an attorney, and some people won't need one at all, but it does really help with your mental health if you have a a support person in your corner to help you. It might not seem like it, but it relieves so much stress and so much anxiety when you have a strong person to defend you. But Okay, if you do need one, here are the suggestions that I'm going to give to finding yourself a fighter for courtroom battles and somebody who can be an advocate for you. So for me, the first attorney that I hired was absolutely terrible, and I fired her after three months. If I had stayed with her, I would have gotten completely bulldozed over by my ex-narcissist. So this is why I'm going to tell you this. It is imperative to do your homework before committing any money or retainer fees for representation. Not all lawyers are created equal. Not all lawyers care about anything except for their paycheck. So let's dive into how you can find the best lawyer for your team. First, ask around again, right? Talk to people who you know have been divorced or who have had custody issues and get their opinions. Who do you like? Who do you know? That sort of thing. Sometimes they will tell you that their attorney was great and other times they're going to tell you that their ex's attorney was great. Either way, it's valuable information to know when starting your search. The thing about attorneys is once they speak to you about your case, they are not legally permitted to talk to your ex. So you'll give them yours and their personal information to ensure that your ex doesn't come along and try to swoop up that particular attorney right out from under you. So It's really critical to start calling around immediately. Most attorneys will offer you free consultations, so you'll want to ask for that up front when you call. And a lot of times you can just interview them like you interviewed the therapist. So you'll maybe meet them in person if you can or on a Zoom call. Um, It's important that you feel really secure and safe with whoever you decide for your attorney and that you feel like they understand and empathize with your situation. And if you get the vibe that they don't, then you can just move along. Trust your instincts here, okay? And you may even want to take someone with you, like a friend or somebody who is um, really sharp, um, quick on their feet, will ask a lot of questions. Because a lot of times as victims of abuse, we, we just feel really vulnerable and scared. And we may just want to jump to the very first person who we feel like can help us. So you, you can make a list of things that you want to know and then just start asking. And again, if they're not charging you for this first call, it, just ask as many questions as you can and find out as much as you can about this attorney before you make a decision. And again, I will include these questions in the show notes on this podcast, but here are a few to get you started. Again, they're open-ended questions. That's really important. Try to refrain from um, yes or no questions because... Um, most people will just give a quick answer. So 
The first question I think is really important is what do you know about narcissistic abuse? And just get them talking and see what they say and decide if you like the answer or not. Number two, how many clients do you think you've been rep- you have represented who have been abused by a narcissist or who have been emotionally abused? And see what kind of um, answer they give you for that. Number three, what is your retainer fee? And what is your hourly rate? This is important to know up front because you're going to want to be comparing back and forth. You know, if you've got a really strong um, attorney who you really, really like, maybe you're going to want to pay the extra money for them. Um, if there's someone else who's cheaper, but you they didn't really know a whole lot about narcissistic abuse and haven't represented a lot of people in that way, that might not be the best decision for you. So the the last question, I'm sorry, the next question is, where do you feel like that you shine as an attorney, mediation or the courtroom? And this isn't a trick question, but it's very telling of the lawyer. Mediation almost never works with a narcissist. And if you've been through mediation, you know that. So you'll need someone who is an absolute tiger or shark in the courtroom. If they are telling you how good they are at negotiations, really forget about it. Nobody negotiates with a narcissist and nobody knows that better than you. So be very mindful of where they feel like their strengths are because that's where they're going to focus. They're not going to want to take you to court. They're going to want to try to mediate. Now, if you feel like mediation is really what you want to do and the route you want to take, then maybe you want somebody who says that. Now, it's my opinion, this is just my personal opinion, that trying to negotiate with a narcissist really just doesn't work. So you're going to have to decide that for yourself. Number five, how often can I expect to hear back from you after I try reaching out for a question? So basically what you're doing here is just trying to lay the groundwork of expectations because if you know that you're a very impatient person, and this is how I used to be, seven days is not going to cut it. But if they say, I usually reply within 24 to 48 hours, maybe that's more acceptable to you. So I like this question because it really helps you know what to expect in this particular person. Now, obviously, things come up and they may say they get back to you in 24, 48 hours and maybe four days later you still haven't heard from them, but it's good to know up front. And I'm sure that you could probably come up with a lot of other questions ahead of time or maybe even on the spot as you're interviewing. And as I said before, um, have somebody go with you, a friend or um, someone who's just a second pair of ears or maybe another opinion and have them come and ask questions and take notes with you. Um, or maybe sit with you if you're on a Zoom call. They might hear something and tell you afterwards, and you may not have even realized it in that particular meeting. So just pick somebody who you trust. When we've been abused by a narcissist, our judgment can be really clouded. You know, we're highly emotional. We may be experiencing a lot of self-doubt. And um, that's why I think it's really important to have somebody that you trust to give you honest and reliable feedback about these people who you're interviewing. So don't rush into a decision, but also don't beat yourself up if you pick one and realize later that they really weren't the right fit because this happened to me and then I felt like I had lost so much time, um, three months of waste in my mind. But Um, don't beat yourself up because that was a learning experience for me. And that's why I'm passing this information along to you. So 
The other reality is people hire and fire lawyers all the time. Lawyers don't get their feelings hurt or guilt you about it. It's just business and they move on and you move on. And as I said earlier, I fired my very first attorney. And when it, when it happened, I felt really anxious about it. I felt really nervous about it. I was sick to my stomach. But afterwards, I felt so much better that I was with someone who really, really, truly had my back. And I cannot stress enough how vital it is to have the best of the best that you can afford as part of your team. Fighting a narcissist or a toxic person and an abuser alone is daunting enough. It's awful. But fighting them alone in court is something I wish no one ever has to do. And even if you do not have the funds or the resources, what you will want to do is research as much as you can. I don't have a lot of experience in this realm because I was fortunate enough to have someone to support me. But a lot of the people who I know in the narcissistic abuse community have had to do a lot of research and um, connecting with people on social media and in domestic shelters. And um, what they have done is really set themselves up for the best success. So even if you do not have the resources for your own attorney, there are free resources out there. Just use what you can that is at your disposal. So if there are social media accounts out there that you can follow, books that you can read, videos that you can watch, do all of those things, right? Because you are going to have to be your own best advocate. And so try reaching out to people. Try doing everything that you have in your power to protect yourself in the best way that you can. So I hope these tips have been helpful to you. And if you know someone who is going through a rough separation, approaching divorce, who has been struggling through their divorce, um, please pass this episode along to them. And even if one thing helps them to add a good fighter to their team or someone to support them, it could be worth it. All right, so just to recap, first thing you want to do is sit down and take inventory of where you need support. Do you need support in the finance area? Do you need support in the mental health area? Do you need support in the legal area? And many of you might be saying, I need support everywhere, right? And, and that seems like an overwhelming task. But to make things less overwhelming, just sit down and make a list. And you may not be able to have every single box checked in the beginning, but you can start with one. Where is the greatest need for you at this moment? Is it your mental health? Is it um, finding someone to support you in the courtroom? Is it someone to help you with your sleep? Is it someone to help you with your finances? What is the absolute number one thing that you need to support yourself? And then start there. And then what you do is you just branch out and you start asking questions, you start doing research. And I wanna make sure that Everyone understands who's listening that I completely know what this feels like. And it can be extremely exhausting, emotionally overwhelming to think about what you have upcoming, what is in your future. But I want you to know that your emotional recovery isn't just one thing. There are many moving parts 
that need to happen for us to feel differently. And a lot of the work I do is all about retraining your brain and getting into your subconscious mind. And that is is so important, right? Because that will help you have a lot of peace no matter what is going on outside of you. And it helps you have a lot of clarity and um, cognitive responses that are in your best interest. Because if you're operating emotionally, sometimes that gets um, neglected. So the reason I'm telling you this is because I realize and understand that it's not just about what's going on inside of you, but it is also about what's going on around you. We can't control how other people show up, but we can take action for the support level that we need. So if you think of it like if you were to start running and you wanted to run a marathon and complete that, the number one thing is you have to run, right? You actually have to get out there and run. But there's a lot of other moving parts that have to happen too. You have to set your alarm in the morning to make sure that you consistently get up and do that. You may join a running group and have other people around you to inspire you and encourage you and motivate you. You may need to start taking supplements or change your diet. You might even have to invest in running gear and running shoes and things that will support you. So though the main thing here is that you got to run, there's a lot of other things that have to happen to make you be able to be the most successful for yourself and for those people around you and the people who you love. Because the better off that you are, the better off everyone else will be too. So I'm saying this because I highlight and emphasize a lot about your subconscious mind. And if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me say it. And I truly believe that is really the source because we can't control what goes on outside of us. But it is also important to recognize what is in your control and what you actually can take action to do to help yourself with emotional abuse recovery and all of these things play a part in that because like I said if you have a great support you're going to feel a lot more secure and though you can change how you feel using your subconscious mind it really doesn't hurt to have that extra boost of confidence from people around you who you can rely on and who you know have your best interest at heart so If you have any questions about this or any comments or anything to add, um, let me know over in the DMs on Instagram or on Facebook, and I'd love to hear about it. I really just wanted to pass this along because I recently spoke to someone who was really struggling with this, and I thought it would be a great um, addition to this podcast to give those of you who need this additional support, who need to maybe change their support, take inventory of it to help you as much as possible along your healing journey. And remember, check out the show notes and I will include the questions that are really great open-ended questions that you can ask. And, you know, of course, you can modify those however that you want, but it's just a good place to start. So thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you next week. 
Thank you for being here with me today in the Emotional Abuse Recovery Podcast. I hope you found value here with me. If this podcast episode was helpful to you, I'd love for you to hit subscribe and leave me a review. My goal is to help you go from feeling stuck to set free. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook, and you can check out whentearsleavescars.com for more resources and information to help you with your own emotional abuse recovery. Until next time, here's to believing in